Thanks for joining us for the City Church Podcast. More information on City Church is available at www.ourcitychurch.org. Amen, amen, amen. Good morning, everybody. You all doing okay? If you're new here, welcome. My name is Justin. I'm ripping a book to put in my notes here so I can keep my page. If you're new, welcome. My name's Justin. Very, very glad that you're with us this morning. I feel like the Holy Spirit has something really special for us this morning. So just turn to the person next to you tell them the Holy Spirit has something special for you today. Go ahead and tell them. Let's speak it out. Let's speak it out right from the very beginning. You know, we just finished a series that was 800 years long through the book of Colossians. And it was eight weeks. It was really fun. It was really great. Did you guys enjoy that series, walking through the book of Colossians together? I did. I really did. Yeah, we can give God glory for that. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace and for teaching us so many things about who you are through that series. We honor you. Um, you know, I decided to do something that I think we may create as a habit here at City Church. We finished a long series, and uh, we start another series in two weeks on the book of Psalms uh, called Poets and Prophets. We're very excited about that. That'll start on June 16th, but until then, you know, I began to pray and just, there's been a few things burning on my heart, probably for the last month, month and a half, that I have really wanted to address in our community and just had not had opportunity because we're in a series, which is good, you know, you discipline yourself to teach certain things at certain times, but I felt like, you know what, we need to pause and take a couple weeks to just take on some of these very specific issues, very specific things. And so today, um, I, it'll be this week and next week that we'll talk about seemingly random things, but things that I feel like for our church community are crucial at this season. And so uh, today we'll be talking about hunger for God, hunger for God. And uh, I'll be starting in Mark chapter 5. You can go there if you have a Bible. Uh, if you'd like. Before I get there, I want to just share with you one exciting thing. Uh, the Bridgeport location, we have a date for starting. It will, uh, we'll have two uh, pre-launch services, one in July and one in September. Those will be Sunday evening, so we encourage everybody just to come out and support this new campus location that we'll be launching. So uh, those will happen in July and in September. We'll, all the details will be at rcitychurch.org. Um, the first official Sunday morning service in Bridgeport will be October 20th. And so we're very, very excited about that. And uh, we'll also be launching before that a Sunday night service in September. So we'll be sharing those details with you as, fi- as soon as we find somewhere to meet. So um, the exciting thing, though, is that on Wednesday, me and Jeremiah and Ed think that we pretty much nailed down, well, we know we nailed down, at least for this year, the location for Bridgeport. So we're very excited about that. Uh, very, very excited about that. So praise God. I'm not going to tell you where, but it's awesome. It's really, really a great fit. Very excited. And it'll be all up online pretty soon. So, um, and on top of all that, so far in four weeks to the glory of Jesus, on top of your regular giving, this community gave just under $22,000 to uh, the Bridgeport plant. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, that's awesome. Listen, that is, that, is, that is glory to Jesus. That is generous. That is incredible. If God puts it on your heart to give, either contact the church office or you can just write right on your thing that you want to give to Bridgeport. We do want to hit 30000 That was our goal for this initial launch. So I know that a couple people contacted us saying, hey, listen, God really put it on my heart. I want to pledge this amount. Just be faithful to how the Lord leads you, and I'm confident that he'll do everything he wants to do. Did you find Mark chapter 5 yet? Mark chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 21. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. 
And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better, uh, but rather grew worse. And she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to him, to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity to press into the scripture today, for the opportunity to gather as a family and worship you. God, it's a real honor. It's a real joy. It's a privilege. We're so grateful that we get to do this today. God, I believe that you have a supernatural deposit for your people today, and uh, we long to hear from you. Jesus, we long to hear from you. I pray that you would surpass the words of men and that you would speak the word of God that today every one of us would hear a word from God and we would be changed forever. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity just to have a course correction in our community. I pray that, God, that this would release a whole new level of hunger for you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I gave my life to Jesus at 13 years old as a teenager right here in uh, the city of New Haven, Connecticut, and, uh, you know, experienced the power of Jesus at an early age. And I've shared this story before. Some of you may have heard it before, but shortly after I gave my life to Christ, I joined this small group that was meeting on Sundays, and we were going through a book. And I actually found my book, which was like, this book is holy. It levitates off the ground. It speaks in tongues. It does amazing things. Just this book does it by itself. I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, but it's the book, The Ten Challenges of, the Wor- of a World Changer. And I remember my youth pastor gave me this book and gave each of us the book. And we, there's probably about 20 of us in the class. And he said, all right, this week we're going to do week one of the book. And so I got this book, and I'm not lying. I did week one three times. I mean, look, the pages were coming out. Something happened in my soul as soon as I met Jesus that I could not explain in the natural. My friends, my family, the people around me thought I was a little bit off kilter and I was I was so far off kilter because I had been dominated by the affections of Jesus and I found within myself this deep deep longing I never asked for it I never prayed for it it just was there this deep longing to know God to follow God to seek God to search out God and so I went through this book um, you know three times for the week so every day I did the lesson about three times in fact I went through all seven and then I went through all seven again and then I went through all seven again and so we sat down the first you know actually the second meeting of this small group and my pastor got up and there was like I said about 20 of us young people and and he said all right guys um pull out your books how many of you completed everything you were supposed to read over the last week let me see your hands and I was thinking like yeah of course we did I mean this is Jesus this isn't school right I mean if it was you know the catcher in the rye I may not read every word but it's Jesus it ain't the catcher in the rye I'm all about this catcher in the rye no not not hating on him or anything I'm just saying and so you know um I had this whole method in high school, read the first sentence of every paragraph, it'll be okay. And um, anyways, <laughs> we'll teach on that another time. But, but uh, so I was like, of course I read the book. Everybody read the book. We all read the book. This is Jesus we're talking about. Yes, I read. And I looked around and I was the only kid with my hand up. And other kids were like, uh, I lost my book. Um, where's my, you know, they're looking around and they had no concept. And I'm thinking to myself, did I miss something here? 
Is this a homework assignment for a school class? Or is this knowing God? Because there was something inside of me that was weird. And is that weird? Well, what we find in Scripture is that this is actually not weird. Uh, Romans 12 says it like this in the NIV. It says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. You know the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger. Blessed are those who hunger. In fact, all of genuine Christian experience is marked with a fervency and a hunger. I like to read dead guys. I've told you that before. And uh, one of the guys that I read frequently is Jonathan Edwards, one of the great theologians, scholars, and uh, fathers of the faith in, the, in America. And he had a few interesting things to say in his book, Religious Affection. Stay with me. The wording is a little bit 1700s, but you'll, you'll catch on. It says, That religion which God requires and will accept does not consist in weak dull and lifeless wishes, raising us but a little above the state of indifference. God in his word greatly insists upon it that we be good in earnest, fervent in spirit, our hearts vigorously engaged in religion. He says it like this later. It is such a fervent, vigorous engagedness of the heart in religion that is the fruit of the real circumcision of the heart, of true regeneration, and that has the promise of life. And anywhere, in other words, he's saying anybody that's experienced genuine regeneration of their heart will have this fervency for God implanted in them. Look at what he says later in the, in the book. He says this, Yet it is evident... That religion consists so much in affection as that without holy affection there is no true religion. And no light in the understanding is good which does not produce holy affection in the heart. In other words, simply what he's saying is you can't have true Christianity, authentic Christianity without deep, fervent affection for God. It's impossible. And so, um, you know, as I began to prepare and plant ministry, you know, in uh, the early 2000s and started to get involved in ministry, I'd always ask myself, what kind of ministry do I want to be a part of? What type of people do I want to gather around me? And I sensed this call from God to be involved in ministry and to, you know, um, didn't know I was going to be planting a church at that time, but launching into, uh, you know, traveling ministry and preaching and, and uh, playing music and doing all these different things. And I was always asking God, God, what type of people do I want to surround myself? What type of mark do I want this ministry that you've called me to, to have? And one resounding characteristic that stuck out in my mind through that time of prayer and seeking God was that I would be with a people who were captivated by the idea that God could be found by those who sought him. And this is, this is straight Jeremiah 29. It says simply, you'll seek me and you'll find me. What a promise. You'll seek me and you'll find me when you search for me with all of your heart. This divine promise inflamed my mind from a young age, caught my attention, and launched me off into a radical adventure of seeking, pursuing God. And so this manifested by, you know, picking up homeless people on the streets when I was a teenager and preaching on the corner of church and chapel was my first ever sermon. And the people were stuck there because it was a bus stop and they were waiting for the bus. And so I shared Jesus with them and it was terrible, but awesome at the same time, you know, and then from there getting to travel and traveling the nations and risking my life with neo-Nazis in Eastern Germany and preaching in downtown Amsterdam as a demon possessed guy came and attacked me and praying for the 
weather to change on the, in, in uh, the east and watching God supernaturally change, working 20 hours a day, fasting excessively, sacrificing. And this was my life, traveling and seeking God and pursuing him, hungry, fervent, gathering people around me that had that same DNA, that same fervency, that same call, that same culture. And then I sensed the call of God to plant a church. And before that, you know, I had a couple kids and um, bought a house with a yard, you know, and uh, got a dog for sale and uh, started a church, you know, and all of a sudden in my soul, I started to recognize this little drift, this little this little kind of shifting that was going on, this little change that I was noticing. And I became aware that there was this danger that I could become satisfied. There was this danger that I could concern myself with increased attendance and solid programs. And every once in a while, I found myself just wanting people to like me. Just thinking, well, I just hope that person likes me and I hope we have a solid program and I hope that we, you know, the attendance continues to grow and I, I hope that, you know, and, and all of a sudden I found myself kind of, and you know, we can talk about hobbies and we can talk about sports and we can talk about music and we can talk even about theology and all those things are good, but deep underneath the surface there's something in me that's just saying I want God. I want more of God. I want to know Him. I want to be with him in a deeper and more significant way. I long for him. I want him. And I realize that there's a danger that, that I could slip out of that place of fervency and instead engage a place of general satisfaction. And I reflect upon our church community. And believe me, I love you. I pray for you. There's many things about this church community that I adore but sometimes I, I stand there in our times of worship and I feel like we're too distracted. I, say, I stand there in our times of prayer and I feel like sometimes we're too passive. I stand there in, in our times of talking about Christian disciplines and it seems too often we lack intentionality. Sometimes our love is too tempered. And I'm haunted by the words of Leonard Ravenhill that I read years ago as a kid when he said, who will deny himself good food and good company or good rest that hell may gaze upon him wrestling, embarrassing demons, liberating captives, depopulating hell and leaving in answer to his travail a stream of bloodwashed souls. And sometimes I reflect on those words and I say, that's, that's what I want to do. I, I heard Reinhard Bonnke recently preach, and he's a great preacher and evangelist in Africa, and he said this, and I may misquote it slightly. He said, he said um, the less Holy Spirit you have, the more coffee and cake you need. I like cake. Not a huge fan of coffee, but I don't think there's anything sinful about coffee or cake. Not, I don't think there is, and that's not what Bonky was saying. He wasn't saying that those things were evil. What he was saying was sometimes you and I can get so caught up in things that don't seem to have anything to do with God that there's this satisfaction that rests over our heart, and we become content with the norm in our spiritual lives. 
And you know, that's just not my wiring, friends. It's just not who I am. And I found myself in a dangerous place over the last 19 months and being a part of this church that there is a danger that I could potentially engage in that and I want nothing to do with it. I want nothing to do with it. And I felt like it was critical for us as a community to pause and to say, hold on a second. We've been at this thing just about 20 months now. We've been meeting. We've been gathering. We've been growing. Let's get back to who we are. Let's remember that there is a necessity for fervency in the Christian life. And I remember reading the words of Dwight Moody, and I'm reading one of his biographies right now. He keeps popping up in my sermon. Sorry if uh, you're getting tired of Moody. But he was a great preacher in the 1800s, and he was in England preaching, and he did a preaching tour, and he was getting ready to leave. And another preacher pulled him aside and said words that haunted Moody for months after that. He said, Dwight, you know, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. And on the boat all the way back to America, those words echoed in Moody's mind and he kept telling himself, you know what, I aim to be that man. I want to be that person. And you know, Jesus had some pretty audacious things to say about how he wanted us to seek him. And I want to look at a couple of those today. If you know the stories, I'm not going to read the whole story. I'm just going to kind of reflect on them. And then we'll get to this, uh, this woman with a discharge of blood here in, in Mark chapter 5. But in Luke 11... You know, we see this, uh, the story of what I call the annoying friend. I love this story. It's the story of the annoying friend. You can read it on your own time. It's a story about a, a, a person that uh, has someone show up at their house very late at midnight, right? And so the person shows up at midnight and they start, uh, co- they come in the house and the, the guy realizes he has no food to feed the person that just showed up. And so he, he goes to his neighbor's house and he starts knocking on his neighbor's door. It's midnight. And the neighbor's like, go away. And he's like, no, 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 no. And he knocks on the door and he knocks on the door and the neighbor's like, what are you doing? And he says, I need some bread. And the guy's like, no, leave me alone. And he says, no, no, I need some bread. It's very important. And the guy's like, no. And then we pick it up in Luke 8. Look what it says in this story in Luke chapter 8. It says this. It says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend. In other words, it ain't love and friendship that's inspiring this guy. Yet because of his impudence or impudence, I don't even know how to say that word, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. That word means rudeness, boldness, presumption, nerve. The Greek is literally shameless persistence. Because of this individual's shameless persistence. Now, Jesus tells that story, and then look what he says next. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. And those words literally mean keep asking and you'll receive. Keep seeking and you'll find. Keep knocking and the door will be opened. He's giving us a model for prayer. And he uses an annoying friend to be the model. And of course, he's not saying God is a ticked off neighbor who doesn't want to give you bread. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying here that there's a model that you must follow if you want to ever find him with all your heart. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. There's another story in Luke chapter 18 where there's a, he uses an illustration of a woman who um, is not getting justice. And she goes to the judge and she says, judge, I should get justice. And the judge says, no, I don't want to bother with you. I don't care about justice. And she bothers him and bothers him and bothers him. And the scripture literally says, because she's so annoyingly persistent, he gives her what she wants. And he says, will not God give that to you, to the elect who cried to him day and night? Why are these stories in the Bible? 
Why are these stories in the Bible? Why does Jesus say this stuff? He says it because he's trying to teach you and I, friends, that if we want to have real Christianity, fervent persistence is essential. It's essential. You must fervently pursue God. I believe one of the most telling stories of this truth, this theological truth, don't just see this as a pep talk, by no means. See this as a theological truth that changes the way you interact with God. One of the most telling stories of this truth is in Mark chapter 5, and that's where I want to land here today. We started with this story, Mark chapter 5, and I want to look at this just for a couple minutes here about the response that Jesus has to this woman who's bleeding. Uh, Pick it up in verse 25. We learn a few things about this woman here. It says this, And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Now, that's actually incredibly telling for the reader. Now, for you and I, in 2013, with health insurance and all these different things, it doesn't read quite the same, okay? But everybody that read that in the original uh, culture understood that a woman who had a discharge of blood was officially, in in the Hebrew culture, ceremonially unclean. Okay, that means that everyone or everything that she touched was now considered unclean spiritually. So put yourself in this woman's position. It's been 12 years that she's been bleeding. We don't know if she's married, but if she was married, she would not be allowed to touch her husband or have her husband touch her for the 12 years that she's been bleeding. If she has children, she's not allowed to touch her kids or her kids would be made unclean. She couldn't prepare breakfast for them. She couldn't get their clothes out to get ready to get dressed. She could not touch anything that they would touch. This is the position we find this woman in. Now, I cannot imagine that. You know, yesterday was our day off. It was great. And, and we hung out. And my little one, I have two sons and another one on the way. And, and uh, you know, six-year-old, four-year-old, my little son, Noah, um, he's my snuggler, okay? He's what we call in the Kendrick house my snuggle buddy, all right? And so Noah is always looking for a hug, for a snuggle. Gabe could care less. He just wants to play with Legos. But um, Noah would, you know, he snuck into my bed and he was kind of grouchy, you know? He was just a little bit, you know, grouchy in the morning. <clears throat> Doesn't get that for me. Grouchy in the morning. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, he's a little bit, you know, not thrilled. And, and I just said, I, I realized in my spirit, I realized that, that Noah just needed a snuggle to make things right. And so I said, Noah, come here, buddy. And he, he got in the bed and he just kind of, just kind of cuddles right here. And he just digs his head into your chest. And it's like, and I'm reading this this week and I'm thinking to myself, all the snuggles, every little tiny kid snuggle, this woman's missing them. It's been 12 years. She can't touch anybody ceremonially unclean, not allowed to touch a single person. She can't, she can't connect physically with anyone on any level. Now, she couldn't just not touch her husband and her friends and couldn't touch things. And, you know, this means that she literally had to live outside of the general community and family that she was a part of. But beyond that, because she was bleeding, she was not allowed into the place of worship. So she was not just cut off from uh, her family and cut off from her friends and cut off from any work or any community. She was also cut off physically from God. Not allowed into the temple. Not allowed into any synagogue or a place of worship. Verse 26, see what happens. And she suffered much under many physicians and spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. I thought about this. 
I have a friend who's just battled a, a long battle with cancer and passed away after five and a half years of battling with cancer. And I watched uh, this husband and wife couple, very young, I watched as literally her life just began to deteriorate and she didn't even look like the same person anymore. And she'd go to doctor after doctor after doctor and they would try this and try that and try this and try that. And her appearance so radically changed that by the time she passed away, it looked like a completely different person. Now, here's 12 years of this that this woman's dealing with, 12 years of this consistent, ongoing experimentation by doctors, and she probably didn't even look like the same person, and here she was, unable to touch anyone, unable to enter the presence of God, suffering and broke. Imagine these feelings, unwanted, panicked financially, diseased, alone, You know, these are not feelings that are um, set aside only for this woman. Those are feelings that you have. That feeling of loneliness. That feeling of separation. That feeling of anxiety. That feeling of being unwanted. These are experiences that you and I wrestle with. Verse 27, everything changes. Stay with me here this morning. Verse 27, it says this. And he had, she had, I'm sorry, heard the reports about Jesus. She had heard the reports about Jesus. The scripture says that she had heard the reports about Jesus. And I thought about that and I said, I wonder what reports she heard. Well, it doesn't tell us, but I bet you she heard some reports that this Jesus, he changes everything. This Jesus, he accepts those who are unclean. This Jesus, he touches those who are untouchable. This Jesus, he heals the sick. This Jesus, he loves the outcast. This Jesus, even just being around him is electric. There's no one like him. We think he's the savior of the world. We're convinced that he's Emmanuel, God with us. And she heard these reports. They started percolating in her mind and hope began to build. And I can guarantee you that that same feeling that I had when I picked up the 10 challenges of the world changer and the same feeling that Jonathan Edwards has when he wrote that book, Religious Affections, and the same feeling that Moody had when he was just on that boat on the way back to America with that burning his soul, feeling like the world has yet to see what a man with, that's fully devoted to Christ could actually experience. That burning, that moody had, that fervency that I felt, that longing that the widow had who was crying out to the unjust judge, that knocking that the neighbor had on the friend's door, that persistence, that fire, that fervency was beginning to dominate this woman's thinking. Something inside of her began to stir this faith, this longing, this believing. And so the scripture says in verse 26, she heard reports of Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. She heard reports and then she came up behind him. Now we know that the crowd, I just want you to picture this, was chaotic, okay? The crowd was not just like a crowd like this. Oh, let me just sneak through and say hi to James. No, that's not the way it was. The crowd was hundreds, probably thousands of people. It's described as a throng about Jesus, right? It's this oppressive crowd. I mean, picture like, you know, Grand Central Station when you get off and it smells like cheeseburger that's rotted for three and a half years. You know, that crowd that's like, oh, I can't even move. Make sure my wallet's in my pocket still. You know, that type of crowd. That's the type of crowd that they were experiencing on top of the fact that it was all centered around this one epicenter Jesus and so it's like Grand Central you know meets like Beatlemania everybody pressing in you know everybody trying to touch him and yet this crippled woman who's been sick for 12 years who's been unclean and untouchable somehow finds her way through this crowd she pushes through a crowd that is thronging about him and she grabs a hold of his jacket 
Why? Because there was something inside of her that was saying, I cannot passively, hear me this morning, this is where I've been trying to go, I cannot passively wait for Jesus to touch me. I must press through until I take a hold of him. I cannot, something inside of her, some theological reality grabbed hold of her mind and she realized I cannot passively sit by and think that Jesus is going to bless me because he knows my postal code. I must pursue him. I must seek after him. Maybe she had heard his teaching, blessed are those who hunger. And look what happens to this rejected woman in verse 29. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately, I love this, turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? Who touched my garments? You just realize what happened there? Follow this today. Because this will change your idea of God forever. What happened right there is this woman pushed through And through this persistence, she stopped God. The persistence of this woman arrested the the attention of God. She caught his attention, follow this, and no longer was she looking for him. But now, Emmanuel was looking for her. He was seeking her now because of the deep persistence in her heart. And see, you know, I think about church and I think here we are 20 months in and God's done some great things. We've seen lots of people baptized and lots of people say yes to Jesus and God continues to grow things. But God forbid that we are a part of a church that passively, casually sits back and hopes for an encounter with God. That's not what I want to be. That's not who I want to be. I want to be a people who press through the crowd, a people who press through the oppression, a people that seek God with a deep fervency. Here's a thought for you this morning. What if your experience in God is largely determined by your pursuit of God? What if there is more of God that you don't have because you've not sought him for it? What if the only barrier between you and an encounter with God is your own indifference? What if the only barrier between you and encounter with God is your own casual indifference? What if God can be found by those who just seek him? Now we know in the scripture, I'm not trying to tell you that you can earn God's love by no means. What I'm telling you is that in Christ, God has already made the way fully available for you to access him. And your pursuit of him gives you opportunity to encounter him. The NIV translation in 2 Chronicles 16 says it like this. It says it like this. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully devoted to him. The eyes of the Lord range to and fro the earth to strengthen those hearts who are fully committed in this translation to him. Thought for you today. Maybe it's not the devil who's keeping you from an encounter with God. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not Satan that's stopping you from encountering 
God. See, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus uses a picture like this. He says it's like a great banquet that God will throw for the world. And he invites all the people to the banquet. And he says, come and feast at my banquet. This is Luke 14. But it's interesting, the analogy that Jesus uses here, he says that people didn't come. They didn't come to the banquet. And he gives three reasons. The first guy says, you know, I just bought a field and i got to take care of it. Please excuse me. I'm not going to be able to get there. The next guy says, I just bought some oxen and I need to take care of them. Please excuse me. I don't have time to come to your banquet. The next person says, I just got married. And I've got all this stuff I've got to get through. See, it's not evil things that kept people from the blessing and the fullness of the banquet of God. It was good things. It was home stuff. It was work stuff. It was family stuff. What if the only barrier between you and an encounter with God is your own indifference? What would it look like if you and me as a community of believers, shook off the indifference that so easily entangles us and began to seek God with a fervency, began to believe what the scripture says. You'll seek me and you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. Ask and you'll receive. Keep knocking and the door will open. You know, I want to be a part of a family of believers that seek God, that seek God. Would you stand to your feet with me today? Maybe today the Lord would plant in our hearts a fervency. Maybe today the Holy Spirit would meet us and he would begin to stir your soul in a way that you could never go back. Maybe this morning, right in the middle of beautiful June, in the gorgeous summer weather that begins to, begins to explode, when it's easier to go to the beach than it is to church, when it's easier to just be casual in our faith, take some time off, relax. And I'm not against relaxing or taking time off. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying here is when it's easy to watch TV shows and go on vacations and hang out, maybe in the midst of that, you and I would receive a deposit from God that would be such a fervency in our souls that it would define the rest of our year. Look what the scripture says in Isaiah 55. We'll close with this. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Isn't that awesome? You got no money bankrupt before God. He's going to give you everything that you desire if you would just thirst for him. If you would just thirst. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live that your soul may live. Some of us are here and your soul is dying. And it's because you've not fed on Christ. Because your life's not been marked by a fervency and by a hunger. Maybe God could deposit that in our souls today. I want to ask him. Do you want to ask him? Do you want to be hungry for God? Do you want to desire him? Maybe you're here and the truth is you desire a home more than you desire God. You desire a blessing in your work or a wife more than you desire God. Maybe God could flip our affections this morning. Maybe God could do a work inside of our souls and stir our hearts to such a place that we find inside of ourselves a greater love for him than ever before. Maybe this community of believers here at City Church could be known as people who are fervent for God. Let's pray. God, would you come right now?
God, would you come right now? Holy Spirit, we're not praying to some distant, far-off being. We're we're praying to the the present help in time of need. God, we want to be a family of people who are fervent for you. We want to be a community of believers who have a desperation and a longing for you. God, there's only one way that this happens. It's you give it. I pray that you would give it in our hearts right now, that that fervency would well up inside of us even right now as we sing and as we worship, that we would not casually pursue the living God who has given us access through Christ, but Jesus, that you would stir us to the place that we realize that just like this lady, we have got to press through a crowded street sometimes. We have got to seek you when it's inconvenient. We've got to wrestle with you sometimes. We've got to pursue you when we're tired and pursue you when we're hungry and pursue you when we're broke and pursue you when we don't know why it's not working. God, I pray for a fervency to begin to grip the hearts of the people in our community today. Jesus, I pray that we would not be able to just be casual in our faith, but that you would stir me deeper in Jesus' name. Come on, guitar players and sound men and lighting guys, let's all ask him that you would stir me deeper, Lord, with a deeper fervency, God. We hope you've been challenged and encouraged by this City Church podcast. Visit City Church at www.ourcitychurch.org.